Onassis Foundation presents Apply Dagger, Heidegger's Thinking in Being and Time Explained, a podcast series with professor and philosopher Simon Creechley. Episode 10, Truth. We're now looking at paragraph 44 of Being in Time, which is called Dasein, Disclosedness, and Truth. This paragraph begins on page 256 with what I think of as one of the kind of reefer moments in Being in Time, where Heidegger kind of inhales a huge whatever and just begins to associate. There's a paragraph at the beginning of 256 where he just talks about Aristotle, Parmenides, Heraclitus. It's all going on there. Half the page is in Greek. And I've got lots and lots to say about that, but that would take us hours, and I don't want to bore you to death. And I want to get into the question of being and its relationship to to truth as it's related to the uh, analytic of Dasein. So let's uh, assume that there's a connection between being and truth. Let's say we've established a connection between being and truth, and that's what Heidegger does on page 256. Before I get into the argument, I'll read you a a passage from another text because it gives you an idea of where we're heading, I think. There's a lecture that Heidegger gave in the, I think it was 1930, called On the Essence of Truth. And it's a difficult lecture, but a really interesting one. It's in Heidegger's basic writings. And uh, he says there, He says, uh, truth is not a feature of correct propositions which are asserted of an object by a human subject and then are valid somewhere in what sphere we know not. Rather, truth is disclosure of beings through which an openness essentially unfolds. All human comportment and bearing are exposed in its open region. Therefore, the human being is in the manner of existence, he says. E-K-S-I-S-T-E-N-C-E. The takeaway from that passage is that truth is not a feature of propositions. It's not a propositional idea of truth, but truth is a disclosure of our openness. That's where Heidegger's going to go in this paragraph. So... Let's get stuck in. If the connection between being and truth has been established in the history of philosophy, history of philosophy is concerned with truth and uh, truth's relationship to that which is, then it's appropriate that an inquiry into truth should have a central place in fundamental ontology. So Heidegger's justified himself as he does in Being and Time. This is a good place to talk about truth. So what is the traditional conception of truth? The traditional conception of truth is correspondence. Correspondence between propositions and facts or states of affairs. This is the standard picture of truth. So truth is the correspondence between a proposition and a fact. And science could be understood simply as the totality of true propositions. 
So the traditional idea of truth is a correspondence theory of truth. On the one hand, we have a proposition. This is a table. And on the other hand, we have an object, a table. As one of my teachers used to say, truth isn't interesting. If you want truth, open a phone book. Not that we have phone books anymore. Well, you get the point. Now, this idea of correspondence, Heidegger says, leans, it draws on an earlier scholastic definition of truth in St. Thomas, Thomas Aquinas, as the adequation of the intellect and the thing. Adequation of the intellect and the thing. Heidegger says that Thomas gets this from Avicenna, the great Persian philosopher, Ibn Sina, he's quoted on page 257, which in turn goes back to our friend Aristotle, and Aristotle's idea of truth as homoiosis, homoiosis, or the likeness of the soul or psyche with entities or things. So this is typical kind of Heideggerian argumentation. The modern correspondence theory of truth, proposition, fact, is a way of taking over this theory of truth as adequation in the scholastics, adequation of the intellect and thing, and it goes back to Aristotle's idea of the likeness, or more accurately we could think of as the accordance between psyche or soul and entities. And ultimately, even back beyond Aristotle, this goes back to the famous fragment of Parmenides that Heidegger cites at the beginning of paragraph 44 and cited repeatedly in his uh, career. That it's the same thing to think and to be, that being and thinking are the same. So having set that up, Having set up the traditional idea of truth as correspondence, he then asks, what is the being of truth as correspondence? And his inquiry has three steps. The first step is the attempt to establish the ontological foundation of the traditional concept of truth. The second step is to show the primordial phenomenon of truth and the derivative character of the traditional concept. And the third step is to show the kind of being of truth that must be presupposed. And these three steps are going to be the three parts of paragraph 44, A, B, and C. And these three steps, as we've seen throughout Being in Time, are typical of Heidegger. We move back from a traditional, what Heidegger would call, a hardened or, you know, sedimented idea of truth or a sedimented concept. We move back from that to a more primordial ontological foundation. What Heidegger gives us in his uh, ruminations on topics throughout this book are deconstructions of traditional concepts. And here he's giving a deconstruction of the traditional concept of truth, which shows both the conditions of possibility for that traditional concept, namely the correspondence theory of truth draws from a deeper idea of the sameness 
of truth and being. And simultaneously, that deconstruction renders that traditional concept impossible. So Heidegger, as always in his work, is looking into conditions of possibility for concepts which render our understanding of those concepts, our contemporary understanding of those concepts, insofar as we take things over from tradition, renders that impossible. So let's back up for a second and look at this traditional concept of truth. Now, Heidegger discusses three theses. He says, firstly, in the traditional notion of truth, the location of truth is in the assertion, or truth is something that can only be asserted in propositions and of propositions. And we've seen already uh, a critique of the whole idea of assertion, of the priority of assertion in paragraph uh, 33 in chapter 5, critique of the propositional idea of truth. So that's the first thesis Heidegger's going to discuss. The second thesis is that the, the essence of truth, the essence of truth precedes the correspondence or agreement of proposition with object or fact. And it's that essence of truth, which is going to be linked to an idea of being, that Heidegger is going to try and uh, lay forth in these pages. And the third thesis is to go into the origins of the correspondence theory of truth and to show that the origins of the correspondence theory of truth lie in Aristotle's idea of sameness or likeness, homoiosis. So it's clear that with the traditional concept of truth, we are at the level of subject-object dualism. Subject, proposition, object, fact, and the epistemological control of the world, which is, as is crystal clear by now, based upon an ontology of the present at hand, which breaks down the unitary structure of the wholeness of Dasein as being in the world and splits the phenomenon. And Heidegger never wants to split the phenomenon. What I've said so far might well be true to Heidegger's text, but it's a little abstract. Heidegger on page um, 260, thank God, gives us an example. He could give us a few more, to be honest, in these pages, but at least he gives us one. This is on um, 260, he says, let us suppose that someone with his back turned to the wall makes the true assertion that, quote, the picture on the wall is hanging askew, end of quote. This assertion demonstrates itself when the man who makes it turns around and perceives the picture hanging askew on the wall, what gets demonstrated in this demonstration. So, I utter the proposition, the picture on the wall is hanging askew. In making this proposition, Heidegger says, I'm not concerned with representations or with psychical phenomena like representations corresponding to physical phenomena like objects. Rather, I'm concerned with the thing itself. When a proposition gets demonstrated, an entity, in this case the picture on the wall, is discovered or 
uncovered, discovered or uncovered. So what gets demonstrated in the assertion is the being uncovered of the thing. This is key for what Heidegger is going to do in these, uh, in these pages. This idea of uncoveredness, being uncovered, is entdeckensein. To uncover something is to remove it from being covered. Entdeckt. It's a, it's a, it's a privative uh, prefix in the German. So when we demonstrate something, we remove its covering. We pull it into uh, uncoveredness. We pull it into disclosure. So truth for Heidegger is discoveredness. It is the discovery of things in speech. It's discovery of that which shows itself, in this case, the picture on the wall. And Heidegger's claim is that this is a phenomenological experience of truth, a phenomenological experience of truth, which is more primordial than the correspondence theory of truth. And he makes good on this claim, tries to make good on this claim on 260 and 261. And I could um, read this whole thing, but I don't want to. You can um, read it for yourselves. But the, um, the claim here is that what we do um, when we're uh, making assertions about things um, is that assertions are not lining up with facts in the world, objects in the world. Rather, those objects, those things, those entities are being uncovered um, in language. So language is the uncovering of things, and that is the idea of truth that he wants to hang on to. So we have to understand truth as being uncovering, Heidegger says. And this takes us to part B of the, uh, the paragraph on truth, which indeed begins with the, the line, being true means being uncovering. Being true means being uncovering. So the thought here is that the work of truth is the discovery of entities, taking entities out of their coveredness or their concealedness and showing them as they are in themselves. However, this conception of truth is not arbitrary, he says. This is his worry at the beginning of part B of paragraph 44. It's not arbitrary, for it corresponds, and this is important for Heidegger, it corresponds to the meaning of aletheia. Aletheia, the Greek word for truth. Aletheia, truth, is understood by Heidegger as unconcealment, right? being uncovering, taking entities out of their concealment. And this idea of truth as unconcealment is going to remain constant throughout Heidegger's work and structures much of Heidegger's work. On this page, I'm on page 262 of Being in Time, he cites um, 
Heraclitus. He cites uh, fragment one of Heraclitus, when Heraclitus is talking about Logos. And uh, I paraphrase the first fragment of Heraclitus, but Heraclitus says something like, Logos is true evermore, yet men are as unable to understand it as when they hear it for the first time as before they've heard it at all. Why? Because they are asleep, Heraclitus says. So Logos is um, the truth. Truth is Logos. It's what is, draws things into unconcealment. Yet human beings refuse to follow Logos and they are asleep. They live like sheep, inauthentically. And that idea of truth as, on the one hand, unconcealment, and on the other hand, being concealed by human activity is going to become hugely important in Heidegger's work. So Heidegger has not simply shaken off the traditional concept of truth in an arbitrary way. He says he's appropriated its meaning as aletheia more primordially. And of course, if the truth is aletheia, and aletheia means unconcealment, then the root of truth, the core of truth, lies in lethe, in forgetfulness, in oblivion, in sleep, in hiddenness. So aletheia, what Heidegger is trying to grasp hold of as the primordial experience of truth, aletheia is a bivalent movement of unconcealment and concealment. So just so, the same way that Heidegger's thought is a thought of movement and a thought in movement, as I've tried to emphasize in these uh, episodes, truth, aletheia, is also a movement, a movement that moves between unconcealment and concealment. After introducing this, um, this concept, which, like I say, is going to be hugely determinative for Heidegger's later work, he makes a really interesting remark. He says, and this might be surprising, he says, inciting such evidence, the evidence here is the evidence of the Greeks, um, Heraclitus and the rest, inciting such evidence, we must avoid uninhibited word mysticism. Nevertheless, the ultimate business of philosophy is to preserve the force of the most elemental words in which Darzan expresses itself and to keep the common understanding from leveling them off to that unintelligibility which functions in turn as a source of pseudo-problems. Listen to that. Really interesting. So we must avoid word mysticism. And we might wonder whether some Heideggerians do avoid word mysticism or end up in kind of word mysticism salad. But that's by the by. The ultimate business of philosophy is to preserve the force of the most elemental words and to hang on to that, that force. And um, if we lose that force, uh, we risk those elemental words like truth being leveled off, leveled off to common understanding. People who are asleep, people who are like sheep, 
and this provides a basis for pseudo-problems, namely the pseudo-problems of philosophy. So Heidegger is doing a very um, important thing here for, for his work. He's trying to take the traditional idea of truth and connect it to this more primordial experience of truth as unconcealment and concealment. And then, as one might expect, he's going to fold this idea of truth as a movement of unconcealment and concealment, fold this idea of truth into his understanding of the human being, of Dasein, as throne projection. Namely, that the dual structure of truth as unconcealment and concealment mirrors the dual structure of throne projection. And this is why, this is the reason why Heidegger feels entitled to say on page 263. He asks, what is the relationship between truth and Dasein? What's the relationship between truth and us? And he says in italics, it's kind of dramatic in the text, Dasein is in the truth. Dasein is in the truth. What does that mean? Dasein is in the truth. As we've seen in chapter five, Dasein is its disclosedness. Dasein is itself the clearing that discloses things to itself. And Dasein has an ahead of itself projective relation to its own being in the world. It understands itself as throne projection and in doing so, Dasein has understood the truth of itself. Dasein is in the truth. Incidentally, incidentally, by the by, this idea of living in the truth has been influential, was influential, on people like the, the Czech or former Czechoslovak dramatist and writer and president of Czechoslovakia before it separated into the Czech Republic and Slovakia, Václav Havel. Uh, used to talk about living in the truth and living in the truth as a way of hanging on to an experience of personal authenticity in a totalitarian world, in a world which is based on a lie. So this idea of living in the truth has been taken up in that context and indeed in other contexts as well. So let's just keep that in mind. It's not a question so much of... Um, speaking truth to power for Heidegger, but of being in the truth and being in the truth as a kind of potentiality, as a kind of potency, possibility. In that sense, living in the truth is power. So Heidegger takes this idea of truth, this movement of truth, unconcealment, concealment, and then folds it into what we've already learned about Dasein. And as you will uh, recall from chapter five, I'm now looking at page 264. We know a number of things about Dasein. The first thing we know about Dasein is it is disclosedness. It is itself the clearing in general. 
The second thing we know about Dasein is that its state of being is one of thrownness. Disclosedness is factically embedded in a, our, uh, a mood where things show themselves up. Thirdly, Dasein's state of being has to be understood in relation to projection, potentiality for being, the authentic disclosure of what Heidegger's calling uh, now in paragraph 44, the truth of existence, the truth of existence. And fourthly, we know that to Dasein's state of being belongs falling. We fall to the world. Um, we fall to the world through those characteristics which, which allow us to fall to the world and close it off to us. Idle talk, curiosity, and ambiguity. And where does that leave us? That leaves us in the, um, the following situation, which is uh, mightily interesting. Dasein is in the truth, but Dasein is also in untruth. Dasein is in the truth insofar as it projects, insofar as it discloses, and Dasein is in the untruth insofar as it falls, insofar as it covers over. And Dasein is both of these things. Insofar as we are Dasein, we are in the truth, we reveal, we uncover, we unconceal, and we cover over and conceal. We fall, we err. And this idea of errance, untruth as errance, as a kind of wandering, is something that Heidegger's gonna pick up in his later meditations on truth in um, the essence of truth that I mentioned a few minutes ago. So, we have two propositions here. Dasein is in the truth, firstly, and secondly, Dasein is in the untruth. Dasein is in the truth, Dasein is in the untruth. And this, of course, echoes the dual structure of Dasein as factical existing or thrown projection. And it also shows, shows the dual structure of truth as uncovering and covering up, disclosure and closure. This bivalent movement, which is the core of the primordial understanding of truth as aletheia. And Heidegger goes, goes back again to the, the Greeks in these paragraphs, um, to the pre-Socratic, the so-called pre-Socratic Greeks, and he cites uh, Parmenides, and he says the following, this is on page 265. The goddess of truth who guides Parmenides puts two pathways before him, one of uncovering, one of hiding. But this signifies nothing else than that Dasein is already both in the truth and in untruth. The way of uncovering is achieved only by krinein logo, krinein logo, in distinguishing between these understandingly and making one's decision for the one rather than for the other. The existential ontological condition for the fact that being in the world is characterized by truth and untruth lies in that state of Dasein's being that we've designated as thrown projection. This is kind of 
important. Um, there are two paths. This is what the, uh, the Parmenides poem presents us with. The two paths in the Parmenides poem are the paths of that which is, of being, and that which is not. And we have uh, a poet drawn on a, uh, a cart led by a horse, and there's a fork in the road, and you have to decide which way to go. And this idea of krinein logo, this idea of krinein as crisis, as decision, as incision, as discrimination, as judgment, as cut and crisis are all kind of linked together in these, uh, in these uh, paragraphs. The point is we must choose the right path. We must choose the right path. And um, that's for us to decide. Or obviously already here in this idea of truth is a, an idea of authenticity. So to choose to live in the truth is to choose to live uh, an existence which is as much as possible unconcealed. Now, there's a lot more we can say about paragraph 44, and it's absolutely fascinating and um, compelling work, uh, compelling discussion by Heidegger. But I want to uh, finish by looking at something he says at the end of the paragraph. This is part C, the kind of being which truth possesses and the presupposition of truth. Because he makes a number of really compelling claims here. The first claim he makes, uh, and this is now, we're now drawing to the end of uh, Division One. he's now kind of reaching kind of symphonic climax to Division One of Being in Time. He says that, da that truth is Dasein relative. Truth is Dasein relative. He'll say the beginning of uh, this part of the paragraph 269, there is truth insofar, only insofar as Dasein is and so long as Dasein is. So truth is relative to Dasein's existence. And the next thing he'll say is that before there was Dasein, there was no truth. Truth as a truth of existence is only true for as long as Dasein is. Dasein is as being in the world. And nor will there be truth when Dasein is no more. If there is no Dasein, if Dasein is wiped from the face of the planet, then there will no longer be truth. Truth is relative for Heidegger. Truth has this bivalent structure. And um, truth is something which is Dasein dependent and um, therefore not eternal. So another thing he says in these pages is that there, uh, there's no such thing as eternal truths. No such thing as eternal truths. And in connection with that, he talks about uh, Newton's laws. He says Newton's laws were not uh, true prior to their discovery. They became true by virtue of their discovery through the activity of Newton as natural philosopher, physicist, were drawn into the discovery of certain propositions about nature. 
but they're also kind of Newton-dependent, Dasein-dependent rather than being eternal. So any idea of eternal truth for Heidegger is, is put to one side. It's simply an inauthentic understanding of the nature of truth. And this leads to another startling series of claims at the end of this paragraph, which I'll say a couple of words about. He says on page 271, we must presuppose truth. We must presuppose truth. Dasein itself, as in each case, my Dasein and this Dasein must be. And in the same way, the truth as Dasein's disclosedness must be. Has Dasein as itself ever decided freely whether it wants to come into Dasein or not? And will it ever be able to make such a decision? In itself, it is quite incomprehensible why entities are to be uncovered, why truth and Dasein must be. Listen to what he's saying here. Is that insofar as we are, insofar as we're factically thrown into a world, and we are always already thrown into a world, then we are tacitly, implicitly, in the truth. We didn't invent ourselves, we didn't call ourselves, summon ourselves into existence. We found ourselves, state of mind, always already in existence. So we have to presuppose truth insofar as we understand truth as the truth of existence. We cannot therefore be skeptical about truth. So what Heidegger is doing here is not just showing the, um, not just refuting skepticism, plenty of philosophers have done that before, but showing the utter unintelligibility of skepticism. He says on page 271, a skeptic can no more be refuted than the being of truth can be proved. Right? A skeptic can no more be refuted than the being of, truth, being of truth can be proved. Truth as the truth of existence is not something which stands in need of proof. It is. And it also can't be refuted because we are. We factically exist. Going back to the text, I quote again from Heidegger. And if any skeptic of the kind who denies the truth factically is, he does not even need to be refuted. Insofar as he is and has understood himself and his being, he has obliterated Dasein in the desperation of suicide. And in doing so, he's also obliterated truth. Because Dasein, for its own part, cannot first be subjected to proof, the necessity of truth cannot be proved either. It has no more been demonstrated that there has ever been an actual skeptic. Though this is what, at bottom, has been believed in the refutations of skepticism, in spite of what these understandings take to do, that it has been demonstrated that there are any eternal truths. The problem of skepticism, we could say, is a problem with which philosophy begins, with the um, critique of the, the sophists in Plato's dialogues, and so on and so forth. 
right the way through the history of philosophy. Uh, in the last episode, I was talking about Kant's response to Hume's skepticism, and so on and so forth. So Heidegger's gesture here is to say a skeptic has never existed. Skepticism does not even need to be refuted. Insofar as we are, we are, and we are tacitly in the truth. Therefore, skepticism about existence would simply be suicide. It would simply be the obliteration of my being in a suicidal act. That wouldn't prove anything, by the way, and Heidegger is certainly not recommending it, but it's that kind of daft as a philosophical proposition. So Heidegger's uh, procedure in paragraph 44, the end of um, Division 1, is to show the unintelligibility of skepticism. We are in the truth. We are in the truth. We can fall into untruth. We fall constantly into untruth through the mechanisms of idle talk, curiosity, ambiguity. But we are factically thrown there. We are there. We are Dasein. We are being in the world. Therefore, skepticism is just a philosopher's pseudo-problem, which we should grow up and forget about. That would be Heidegger's thought. Does that make the problem of skepticism go away? Well, we could save that question for another day. But let's look now at how um, Division One of Being and Time finishes, how it comes to an end. He says, only because Dasein is, only because Dasein factically exists, can being be understood. Truth only is insofar as Dasein is. Being and truth are, as he will say, equi-primordial concepts. They're concepts that have the same, uh, same status. They're linked uh, in this primal way, the force of elemental words. But what does it mean that being is? What does it mean that being is? He says on page 273, the last paragraphs of the um, Division One. he says, and he'll do this kind of thing over and over again, the answer to the question of the meaning of being has yet to be given. Hmm, we're on page 273. We haven't even begun to get to the question of the meaning of being. The answer to the question of the meaning of being has yet to be given, Heidegger writes. We then get some backtracking from Heidegger, we then get some, what I think of as throat clearing in Heidegger. Heidegger does a lot of throat clearing in Being in Time. But he will often make this move in, in Being in Time or in, elsewhere in his work. He'll give us you know, hundreds of pages of phenomenological analysis and then say, but we haven't even begun to think about the question yet. I think he you know, goes too far, protests too much. But he does make an uh, interesting remark at the end of Division One about where we're going to go next. And it's important to get a sense of where we're going to go uh, after Division One. Why is there Division Two? Well, there is Division Two of Being in Time for two reasons. And the way Heidegger frames it, the last lines of paragraph 44, he asks the question of whether care 
care is the being of Dasein, but has care been understood in a truly primordial way? A truly primordial way, or is there something deeper? Is there something deeper? What Heidegger means by this, as we'll see in Division 2, Chapter 2, is the question of authenticity. If we take the question of care, and we think about that in relationship to the question of authenticity, authentic Dasein, then would that be a more primordial disclosure of who we are? That's the first question. The second question, problem he raises, is whether Dasein has really been brought into view as a whole. So care is the being of Dasein, that's all very nice, but have we really got Dasein into view as a whole? And this is what he would call the problem of totality in uh, the introduction to Division 2. And the problem of totality is what's going to lead him to Division 2, Chapter 1, the problem of being towards death. So in closing Division 1, Heidegger opens two questions. The question of authenticity, is care, as we've shown it, primordial enough? And the question of being towards death, which is going to be a way of getting the whole of Dasein, the totality of Dasein, into our grasp. And that's what we're going to do when we turn in the next episode to Division 2 of Being in Time. So if you've got this far in Being in Time, you should give yourself a big pat on the back. You've got through to the end of Division 1 of Being in Time. And now we're going to move on to Division 2, which is called Dasein and Temporality. And we'll pick that up in the next episode. Thank you very much for listening.